Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. In this day and age, we all seem to crave the connection to others that seems to be missing in this environment of screens and social media. Will Daly wants to break down that wall. And if you don't want to climb over the remaining pieces, well, he is okay with that. With his latest album, Golden Walker, Will wants you to turn off those distractions, to drop the needle on the album, and listen. We loathe to place Will into a nice box by calling him a singer-songwriter because somehow it is not quite so simple. What we can say about him is that he is a very thoughtful guy, and we really enjoyed spending time with him to talk about that missing connection, being an indie artist, and having no regrets. So here is our conversation with Will Daly, recorded at Woods Hill Table in Concord, Massachusetts. You're from Boston, right? Yeah. Where did you grow yeah, up? So I was born in um, Malden. In Malden. And okay. uh, lived in Malden, Arlington, Andover, Melrose. Did you ever come to Concord at all? No. I actually thought Paul Revere rode from Lexington to Concord, New Hampshire until I was an adult. <laughs> actually, I don't think he ever actually made it to Concord. No, he didn't. He was too right? drunk. It's one of those he stories where you realize hmm. it just his, he had a better ring to his name and did more publicity afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> right? Although... The Paul Revere House in the North End. Right. It's right next to a great Rever- bar. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> no, uh, a house. It's called the Clow House. Is that the Clow or Clough? Clown. No, shut up. Uh-huh. And um, there were printers back in the colonial days, and it's a historical house. You can go in there, and there's a guy there, and like historical. You know. I went to the Paul Revere House. Yeah, so right next to it nice. is the Clough House. It's okay, it, but it's pronounced. It's it's spelled the it's same his way. Last, as my last name. name. That's why he's all excited about it. I you get free free <laughs> mints. I should get something free, right? You know the clow means valley. You making that up? You told me that. Daily means every every day. Every day? Yeah. So <laughs> Daily. Yeah. What is what does Hirschberg mean? Deer Mountain. Deer Mountain, that's right. Anyway. Hirsch is German deer and Berg is mountain. Every day What's your Deer last Mountain name? Valley. Landy. Landy. Maria is a What's Berkeley that? student. She's a rising junior. Rising junior. What what's yeah. your major? Songwriting. Who do you have for songwriting? Mm-hmm. You just named two of some of our former guests. I just, I just did a lecture with Bonnie you, Hayes for the did? summer program. Yeah, just like sat on stage with Melissa Farrick and her. And cool. Yeah, talked about songwriting. Bonnie's bon- got some great Bonnie's history, awesome. and I love her attitude and what she brings to the the stage right. too. She's done some great uh, emceeing. And yeah, <coughs> and then she just shared a post that I did of that cat. Yes, I saw that. This picture of this graffiti of this black cat, and there's a little black cat sitting on the ground. Mm -hmm. And it said, you know, the ancient murals foretold 
the coming of the cat. It was a little stupid meme, but it was I funny. I didn't understand it, it at all. It was fu- well, you're not very bright, but it was funny enough that that Bonnie shared it, and that made me feel good. That's, yeah, when you connect that's my, as that's like my, that's my life someone like in entertainment and songwriting and music, and then they they really don't connect with you in in your day job, <laughs> but you connect on a cat. Yeah, well, you know, I'll take any kind of connection yeah. I can get. Will you actually have to do that these days? You do. I don't know. You're big on connecting. Yeah. I do. I know that. I'm not just saying that. Yeah. I thought the Golden Walker story, I think it's great that you put that on your site itself because how do you have the opportunity for others to know that? And you can tell it in a song. You could do it in an interview, but mm-hmm. I liked reading it. There's not much justification for making a record, an album anymore. Right. You know, like there's, it's expensive to do right. Um, we, someone just told us this. I can't yeah. remember who it was, but yeah. So you should really have a, a reason and it's... I don't lament that making an album is more difficult than it was 20 years ago or something like that, but it's an opportunity, it's an art form, and it started as an art form and then turned into the marketing form. The marketing form is completely exhausted, so so it's back to being an art form. Yeah, I agree. Back to being an art form. Yeah. So the marketing machine took control of many songwriters' lives oh, yeah, over yeah. many years, and we're probably seeing the pendulum come back. Yeah, I don't know if the pendulum comes back, actually. Mm. I think the pendulum just keeps going on. Mm. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a knife that cuts through space. But the way we might think about music and we think about it nostalgically is it's healthy to take a step back from it. You know, recorded music isn't, it's about 100 years old. You know, but music has been around for thousands of years. People have had intense feelings about it that long. We just kind of get caught up in like, Where's the, all the good protest songs? Or what, why is rock dead? You know, or something like that. Mm. But um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really about, well, the, the connection. The connection to it and what it does for us, uh, for our minds and for our physicality and for our shared time here on this rock. Well, you talk about connections with, as Chuck mentioned, with... Have we started we, the podcast? This yeah, is, yeah, we're podcasting. We're good. We just go. <laughs> we are in the... We just go. Right. I, I press. Will Daly. Record. We should save some. We are currently in the art go. of podcasting right now. All right. <laughs> Everything we'll say, we will never say again. <laughs> we are improvising. Let's get to your point. I'm trying to get to the point with it in the back of my mind as I speak. <laughs> All right. The connection point was what I was trying to make, Chucky. Don't call me Chucky. But go ahead. What I'm trying to say is that it's not just the quantity of the connections, right? It's strengthening what we have. Mm-hmm. But it's just about our, our relationships we have. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the, the economy of the future, once we pass through all the changes that are happening or be happening for the next 10, 10 15 years, it's going to be the teachers, it's going to be the therapists, it's going to be the artists. It's going to be the, the job force that is about working with each other. Um, not sitting behind a desk or sitting behind a machine. Yeah. And that's exciting. I totally agree with you. The physical artifact, the art form of making that physical thing. Mm-hmm. The digital thing, we could have a big electronic mm-hmm. pulse that wipes out all memory, right, of all of our computers. And the only thing that will be left is that those CDs, those those you know the vinyl and everything. So I like that physical, I like that. That's much more of a connection. Mm-hmm. You know how relieved and healthy it would be if all that, that did happen? You know how we'd all feel all of a sudden? <laughs> we'd feel probably pretty good. If you didn't have that giant void that keeps getting full of stuff, which is the hard drive or, yeah. or the, thing, the list of things to do, and it just all disappeared immediately, and then it's like, well, i got to reach out and talk 
to somebody now. Or I got to go see Will Daly in concert. Exactly. I got to go see them play yeah. in front of me. Yeah. I'm going to use my GPS to find the location where he's <laughs> playing. Oh, if, no, you can't do that. I'm yeah. working on a giant EMP. Just so <laughs> <I can explain. laughs> if I want to go see some drama, I have to go see people in person yeah. act it out. Yeah. Yes. We just put this thing together in the last six months called a concert cast where mm-hmm. Chris Trapper did yeah, this Chris at si- City Winery. And oh, yeah. It seemed like a novel idea because we're putting we're recording a live podcast along with live music and we have a Q and A and everything. It's fun. It goes to your point about how we re- we've been recording music for a hundred years or so, but you know this is the kind of thing that's been done for centuries, where it's this the vaudeville days of just that interact that engaged audience mm-hmm. with the performer and the energy yeah. and the energy physically being there together with like a hundred people. Yeah. When we talk about these concepts, I, I always circle back to the reality that is there a balance? It, how much do we need Facebook? How much do we need the the social media to bolster our platforms to be able to have success? When we get down to it, you have great songs. You can't take that away. That That's not created by social media. But to what extent do we need that type of thing to help our art? Do we need it? Well, you know, at the end of that last five minutes we have of breathing air and thinking of everything we love are any of us going to say I just wish I responded more on Facebook <laughs> yeah, right I know I just wish I binge watched <laughs> the second season of The Wire it was a great show I wish I binge watched it it's not gonna that's not gonna happen you yeah. know but what will happen is like I, I'm glad I learned how to play that instrument I'm glad I, I wrote that book I'm glad I loved I'm glad I lost I'm glad I took that trip so in that, no, they're not important at all. We know social media isn't changing anyone's mind. It's putting people further into tribes. There's a reckoning coming with it to some degree. And there's no art that I discovered on social media. There's not a single artist I know of or like that I discovered on social media. The artists that I discovered, someone told me about. And in the telling of it, I absorbed their passion. You know, dropping the needle on it, pressing play in the car as we drove in the the night skies pouring in through the windows. That's called being social with media. Yeah, exactly. Dropping the needle with a buddy. I like that you're dropping the needle. Well, I, I'm all about vinyl. Vinyl is about ritual. If I play you a song on the phone, a number of things can happen. If I drop the needle, that black circle is not going to send me a text message. It's not going to remind me of something I have to do. I'm committing to listening, which is so atrophied yes, commitment. now. And it's a 22-minute commitment of listening to at least that side. Yeah. And if you're going to break that pact, you've got to physically get up and lift the arm. And you are acknowledging that it's so important that I need to like, lift the arm. <laughs> it's funny. We, we've talked about my, this so my, many times. Uh, my but. son, who's almost 13 and my daughter's 10, and this morning we were playing It's Hard by The Who. Mm-hmm. Ben, my son, loves the song Eminence Front. He dropped the needle. All of a sudden he hears Eminence Front. And he was just blown away that this was coming from a record player. And it was funny because he took the album off after it was over. He picks it up like it's a specimen, like you cannot touch the inside or it will break or something. And he's holding up the album with two hands. He's like, get the sleeve. (laughs) He goes, I'm going to put it in right now. (laughs) He was so serious. Beautiful. I think he's ready for his first Great moment. That's beautiful. But, you know, it it falls right into what you were saying. I read something where this latest album, it's just not something that you have playing over a conversation or in the background, it's something that you have to focus on. You want that yeah. commitment. You want that commitment. Yeah. Which I loved. I loved that because it falls right into it falls yeah. right into that vinyl thing. There's plenty of things you can listen to now that 
you know, the algorithm is going to feed you that are sound beautiful and everything, but you know, it's, it's fed to you to do this certain thing or a playlist that you put on like easy listening while I cook or while right. I do my homework or whatever it is. So much is designed to, to placate us in a way right now, sonically. That's the algorithm. That's a social media algorithm. That's the algorithm that Spotify and Apple are using. I work too hard and I, and I believe in the guys that I work with and everyone that I work with that um, make it what it is. I'd rather have you do what you go need to do. And this isn't for you. That's fine. And find, find the people who need it. And what I do is I, I print a thousand vinyls for each record. Mm-hmm. Vinyls like my measuring stick. Like, and we push downloads and streams and all that stuff and sell yeah. CDs. But, you have to diversify and all that. But the yeah. vinyl tells me what's, what's really going on. Hmm. Like, how many people am I connecting with uh, night to night? Like, you know, you just want to sell like at least like two per like 50 to 100 people in the room. And it tells you the kind of person who are, who's buying it from you. People just don't drop, tw- you know, 20 bucks on a giant square with a circle inside of it. Those people are most likely, whether they're buying it at the show or not, you can go out on a limb, I think, and say that they're the people that appreciate the live experience. Yeah. Yeah, and this record, I just yeah. I just made it. I sequenced it. I put the gaps a certain way and made it so this thing like you participate in or not. Was that a conscious decision for this album specifically, or was it some, is that something that you kind of try and do for... I didn't know this in the beginning, but I was never, and I got on labels, and I'm I've had a really cool and exciting career, and and it's also a kind of career that could end in three months, <laughs> depending on how this record does, and it's yeah. always kind of been that way. But I found out early on, like, I wasn't indie enough for the indie crowd. I wasn't folk enough through and through for the folk, rock for rock, or male singer, songwriter, which if you're called by your name on your records, it's pretty much where you're put first. And I would go out. I'll be put out with an indie band. I'll be put out with this band. And I could I could go play with a jam band. And I could hang with all the different crowds. But at the end, when you're being marketed and you're being put in a bin or on a playlist, it was always like an argument when I was on labels and a discussion. And uh, I found out earlier, well, coming up in the 90s, 80s, 90s, the aughts and all that stuff and the, the music that came from me from coming from divorce and having two like loving households after divorce, there's so much music being thrusted upon me. And... I didn't find anything wrong with any of it. <laughs> so hmm. in the writing of music, there's so much language to mine. I wasn't going to then pick a genre for marketing, which isn't an unwise thing to do. I found out once I was in the middle of it that you, you pick a genre and you can then go play the jam circuit or go do the folk circuit or be in these certain magazines, these certain blogs, you know. There's a path of least resistance that can be comforting yeah. to be in a bucket or a bin, like you said. Well, even for and, the listener, And too. I don't even, I'm, yeah. yeah, and I don't even, exactly, and I don't mean it yeah. to mean it in a, in a negative light because... Yeah. Well, if, it can be very if, positive. It can, absolutely. It depends on what you're aiming to do, I think. But absolutely. the fact that you've been sort of a Venn diagram with five different genres is, I think, probably a, a fantastic thing creatively because you you kind of raise an eyebrow and you're like, you're not trying to figure out what this fits into. Mm-hmm. You're just saying, well, I dig this song. Mm-hmm. When I started listening, it's an automatic thing. You just kind of, it's not like I tried to think of where I could place you. It was that because each song was so different, that subconscious that would place you couldn't. And then it said, hey, Chuck. Did you get frustrated? Well, no, it was just like I, something. Did you slap yourself in the face yeah. like that? That was in my head. <laughs> oh, okay. But that, but, but it was. It kind of snapped something in me that that said that I can't. What's what's the next song going to be now? Because the other three songs were totally different mm-hmm. from each other. Because I couldn't place you into that singer songwriter or rocker. That it was something that affected me. 
mm-hmm. which was interesting because it wasn't like a conscious thing until I noticed that it couldn't place you into that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, Chuck. And I think that thank you, Ron. I appreciate <laughs> it. It's important. I think that it's okay. Okay. And I okay. think you're gonna be fine. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. And but. I think when will when the next song comes up, it'll be a nice surprise, and you're gonna do you're gonna do fine. Well, thank going you. through that album, I'll just hold somebody's hand and I'll um, be okay. I do think that with National Throat versus Golden Walker, there's a change in maybe the production or the way your voice sounds or something. There's there's something where if I do Spotify and I and I hear the different songs come on, I can I can probably close my eyes and figure out which album it came from. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I love that's that. That's usually a hope. I mean, like listen, that's, that's the goal. Exactly. Yeah. That's look. It's hard from the Who. You know yeah. it came from that album and not Magic right. Bus. Right. It's pretty clear that you're committing to that experience, whether it's with an album with a needle or if you're in the car and it's on MP3, it's the experience. Those songs really do that to me. Because I want to save your soul. Oh, he better, he better be alive. Tomorrow's watching on my phone. As your trigger shakes, he better be alive I don't think you're certain You know what you're hurting Who or why with his arms aloft Clawing toward a sympathetic sky He better be alive He better be alive He better be alive Are you still sort of dabbling with mu- movies and TV? or Like when I got my first kick up in the business, this is like 05. You know, I put out my first record by myself. I made it with 16-track analog. I put that out. I was playing in bands for the longest time. I didn't mean to go out as Will Daly, and then I put that record out. And uh, it got on, I think, XM Unsigned at the time. I met with every record label out there. I mean, people were flying up to Boston from Sony, and I didn't even know what to make of it. Right yeah. at that time, everything started to crumble. That's when the whole kingdom was starting to fall. I remember being at the top of Capitol Records, and two weeks later, that guy was fired, the president. Every, Crumbled every, globally. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I got to the you, party when the booze was gone. Right. And you had the vibe of, wow, this is going to be a big party. With your own well, success. yeah, kind of from growing up, like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what happens. Like when these calls start happening, and there's still the infrastructure where everyone's telling you and promising you all these things and all these these narratives that everyone got accustomed to and, and thought that that's how you divide music and music is made up of these small group people that really do it. Anyway, so everything started to crumble, and I ran out of money, and then when I kind of like gave everything the middle finger and came home to Boston and. Uh, so I got an indie deal, an indie deal that was just like an investment deal where they give you, well, they don't give you money. They say, we have this budget to kind of build you up, make a record, and then try to sell that record. I made this record called Backflipping Forward. My friend Tom Polche, who's a producer out in Los Angeles, who is from Boston, we made it here in Boston at a studio called Q Division. Mm-hmm. As he's pressing record, he's like, my buddy is starting up CBS Records. They found out no one was using the name, so they're going to start a small division of like three people running CBS Records. They want to hear what you're doing. I was like... Man, I've been to every meeting. I've, it's been like two years of this mm. stuff. I'm over it. I just want to make a good record. And then I was signed to CBS Records a couple, like three months later. <laughs> so there's always been this kind of organic thing. If I make it, something cool happens. So I got CBS Records and TV and film happened. But then I just noticed, wow, man, everyone's just kind of staying at home and trying to write songs to get on TV and film. And that market got oh. saturated. I was like, I don't even want to. 
that's not why I'm at the playground, you know. So I just kind of left that and CBS closed down and sold me to Universal again organically. Seemed like it was a cool thing. I had to always get a lawyer for these deals, you know. Yeah. And I got to Universal and I remember my first meeting with this record exec. But I remember the, this is my first meeting. I think, oh my God, the head of the whole label is coming to the meeting. This is, I can't, this is so weird that this is happening. And huh. he said, one rule. I don't want you ever complaining about how many Twitter followers you have. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's your biggest concern right now? Was that ever even the pop in your head question for well, you? Oh, You're like, what's Well, Twitter? no, not at all. But, <laughs> but immediately I was just so, it was like an alarm went off. Because <laughs> they were also going through that whole infrastructure crumbling around them. And yeah. Guys getting shoveled around and people getting fired and people panicking and not knowing what to do, afraid to make decisions because they might lose their job right. next. And I just felt myself, well, I had like a five record deal and I just felt myself, I saw like five to 10 years of my life wasting away with nothing ever really coming out and I'm stuck in a deal. I had worked with T-Bone Burnett at this time and I was close to Dylan's publicist. John Mellencamp had hooked me up with a bunch of stuff. I had John Mellencamp's manager. I was in the shadow of all these people and I knew I kind of had their leverage on my side yeah. and they wouldn't want to upset them. I just said, you know, so were they helpful advisors for you? I mean, you you were young, right? I was, this was like in the yeah, no, I, I learned. Or? I mean, I had um, this guy named uh, classic uh, rock and roll manager, a guy named Randy Hoffman, who's worked with so many people. I learned so much from him. I bet. And there's a kind of knowledge that he has that's not getting passed down because when the industry split and crumbled, these new modes started being developed, and these old modes, the gold from from them wasn't passed on. The knowledge mm-hmm. wasn't passed on. To, either to scrap or to, to mold into this new ner- this new way of doing things. So I still have all that knowledge from Randy and some so many other people I've worked with over the years. But at the same time, he just said, well, if you want off Universal, I can't be your manager anymore because I, I wouldn't know what to do with an indie artist, which I understand him saying that. And so I just said, I, I need to get off this deal. And uh, I wrote this letter. <laughs> this someone else, I said, someone else should have my spot. There's all these hoops you want me to jump through now and all these things to do and I don't like these hoops. I'm, I can't thrive like this. I'm not the artist for this kind of thing. But someone else is, and they should have this, and you guys shouldn't be wasting money on me. You should be spending money on them. Wasn't it Bonnie Hayes who actually did an entire album, and it never got released, and she can't even get it? She can't even... Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, Can there's you imagine pretty, yeah. putting... That's a lot of crap. That's one of probably and thousands it, of it's examples. Not, it's not, you don't even own it anymore. That's I bought it. my... I, yeah, I, got, I own all mine except for one, and the yeah. one is the one that kind of got all messed up by, by them, so... I'm, I let it go. It's fine. That's just that's just the worst. I thing own the songs, ever. you know. I just don't own the recordings. That's you're doing a uh, Fenway rooftop sessions. Yeah, where where is it at Fenway? That sounds awesome. It's right on the roof deck. Oh, it's no, right. behind home plate. Behind home plate. Like you've you've never seen it before. It's like this secret garden. Ah, oh. it's oh, a secret behind garden of home Fenway. plate. So how is the stage? I can't tell you, you any can't... more than that unless no, you, you come. You have to it's go. the secret garden. It's called it's a Vineyard Vines Club. There's uh-huh. actual produce and rock and roll. Oh, produce. Yeah. yeah I've been there. Yeah. Oh, oh I've, I've seen the garden on, on oh, the yeah, third yeah, yeah, base yeah. side. They have the granite mm. garden. I love it. Come to the park early. Go to this special secret garden and get a 45-minute set from me and my band. Yeah. And then go to a Red Sox game. It's right. a new thing. So I tested it last year I for them. It. Sam Kennedy saw me play a couple years ago. He's like, I want to do something cool. So we walked around Fenway one day. And I was like, well, we could have concerts up here. And they get be before the game. So... I love playing in places that are unique. Yeah. Um, like I played Isabella Stewart Garden Museum a couple of years ago at the yeah. Calderwood. I loved it there. I've never been to one of the concerts, but Hot Stove, cool yeah. music is something I wanted to talk about. And So when you talk about baseball and music, 
there really is, I think, some of that um, connection. I just recently was reading this article, an ESPN article, it was talking about how baseball and there's members of the team that actually are considered the DJs for the team and they have this music that they'll play in the locker room to get pumped up for the for a big game yeah. or the celebration music. So there's like that direct music in baseball mm-hmm. concept. And also, of course, when Josh Cantor and others yeah. are playing... You know, those he uses my band for the album release for Golden Wolf. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but then there's this other thing that's the charity work, and it's the the concept of bringing great institutions together. Yeah. And you've been involved in foundation to be named later. Yep. For a few is, years now. Yep. Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein and Paul Epstein. Yes. How did you get involved in be, that whole thing? I was asked years ago by Ed Velasquez, who's like the governor of Boston rock and roll he's the manager at q division he plays bass with me often mm-hmm. he asked me one year they had me as a guest i just got up and did two songs and i got to play guitar and letters to cleo and it just kind of went from there and I, I just kept doing it what's beautiful about foundation to be named later is you know we raise all this money and instead of saying okay it's going to this thing every year that's where we hang our hat we look around and we see what's going on in Chicago or Boston that right. needs shoring up. Like, what, what is working that just needs that extra 10, 20 grand this year? And that's, that's the great foundation to be named later. Yeah. And I get it now. There's that's so cool. many things. Yeah. There's so many entities out there that are doing such great work. You know, the charity world and the philanthropy world can kind of get insular and get insular, mm-hmm. you know? And, and uh, for one cause. Yeah, for one cause. Yeah. And, um, cancer is such an important thing to give to, but mm-hmm. you can't have every, all mm-hmm. our organizations giving to cancer research. Yeah. You have so many things out there. Yeah. And the foundation has, you know, I think eight things in Boston and eight things in Chicago. Yeah. If you go to the website, it's pretty novel mm-hmm. where all of that money is one. I don't know how they, you know, someone is the genius behind where it goes, how it goes. But even like the artists, so all the artists pay and be like, all right, I want Zoomix. I get to like pick like oh, you can pick. bucks. But, but for me, there's another like fifteen hundred bucks to three grand. I can be like, I want this given to something. That's else cool. Too, so, so you can direct that a yeah. little bit. Yeah, play with Eddie Vedder a bunch from it, and then in Chicago or Boston or both. Yeah, I've played yeah. with Vedder. I've been his backup singer and rhythm guitarist for three shows. I think. Yeah, three. Yeah, I mean, he's just an amazing guy, and that's who I grew up wanting to be. How was that? The well, fact that you were the first time it was um, in the early '90s. You yeah. alluded to that before. You had two households, right? Yeah, I think my older cousins that were in college. Older cousin, he was probably out of college by then, but he was one who always gave me like Stones and Zeppelin and Who records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for that band, particularly around that time, you have to remember how powerful MTV was, and for an act, the biggest act in the world, to then say we're not making videos anymore was mind blowing. It meant that the music was more important to them than the marketing. It wasn't the purest way to spend your life and your art. That they were mentors. Letting, that was like letting go of power. I almost wonder if that's power. why they ended up doing a lot of the videos of just them live. Absolutely. Which yeah. is, that's my favorite kind of video yeah. anyways. I remember during, I don't know, maybe it was mid, late 90s or something, when they were on a real mission to make the ticket prices lower, and that was the first of many bands. And mm-hmm. they got to a level that I think they could do that. They really affected a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they were big mentors for part of your career. Absolutely. And some of the stuff that you, you've learned from the... Even just in playing them. with them now, too, there's so many, there's so many weird things of nights hanging out now and and so i've gone with like to mexico city now to hang with them watch them and went to the last shows at wrigley on their last tour and ended up playing music all night and it's like i'm still learning and it's um you're pinching yourself less but learning yeah Yeah. i mean it's easier when you're playing music because then you're like you're doing the thing that you're supposed to do and then it's afterwards i'm like wait wait what 
<laughs> and uh but i remember i remember the first time it was like it was jimmy chamberlain on drums i think the first time or dax nelson from cheap trick it was in chicago when i played my set i had john from wilco in my band i had all this i was it was already like mm. a lot going on and then i, I got up and played five songs with ed he's coming by the way john surratt he is he's autumn defense is playing at lizard lounge oh nice i already got tickets you harmonize with those guys and obviously ed figuratively Eddie. and literally yeah well well right and i i was talking about literally just okay. then well then, yeah but, afterwards i remember being in the green room and everyone everyone's just crowding for pictures like everyone waited for that picture moment and i was just like you know I have a hard time with social media and pictures and all that stuff and posting stuff. I usually have to wait months until it's over. Kind of like like Native Americans and like their photo being taken. It takes part of the spirit. If I share something too quickly, it might take part of the memory. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I, I you can try and understand that you right can now. Share I don't it really quickly now. I just kind of walked out of the room while I was taking pictures, and about a half hour later, I comes out and has a beer and he's like that was a good show and i'm like yeah okay so now we're just talking like you do with anybody after a band after you play a set and i go <laughs> out well i hadn't said anything because i just played it cool and i said i go yeah man i gotta tell you just directly what tonight means to me i know you know how i feel because you played with pete townsend for the first time one night you know how i feel tonight then we were done and we were i didn't need to say anymore those are my favorite moments for someone of that caliber being approached by a fan or a fellow musician who looked up to that person, the gratitude that they show to that person really tells me who that person is. Mm-hmm. If they're dismissive, I'm like, well, that guy's a piece of crap now to me. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get that at all. As a matter of fact, the, uh, did you see that, that video with Paul McCartney? Getting, James uh, Corden. James Corden. He gets, oh, yes. Yeah. So talk about committing 20 minutes. <laughs> Everyone listening to this should commit 23 minutes I love that. to that. I it, love it was Paul McCartney and he was James emotional. I, emotional. He got emotional, right? Yeah. And I was so, did the, so did all the people around. Yeah, Paul McCartney couldn't have been more cool about it, and just letting, just genuinely pleased what was going on, and thankful, and yeah. he was excited about every moment of it too. Going yeah. into the barbershop and yeah. wait, speaking of iconic singers, I wanted to bring something up with you, Will. That up to your heart. different parts that connected to each other you have a lot of songs that don't have verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus yeah you do it well in a nice sensibility that it's not too contrived where you have these different parts that flow into each other you really don't expect some of the connections of those parts but then when you hear it again and again you expect it that's the beauty of it and also it reminded me of tom petty yeah did anybody ever say that yeah, I think about that, that one, song. Well, yeah, I think that one has it's like um like a psychedelic Tom Petty song, or if it's like a little yeah, it's your voice angular. Sounded like him too. Yeah, it doesn't always. I don't listen to your voice and say, "Oh, that sounds well, like Tom." Well, the thing Petty. about vocabulary and pluralism and stuff like that, and these things that you know are at mine or our disposal when we're making things, is there's so many things to try on if you can do it. Like there's so many more ways to experience the game if you can play outfield and infield, and if you can hit and wouldn't you want to be under the lights 
playing all those corners and seeing what it's like. Yeah. It goes without saying that Tom Petty's an, an influence. So I hope there's something of my affection towards him that's, that's in me that can be accessed when I need it to express myself. My favorite song yeah. is off of National Throat, uh, Castle of Pretending. Yeah. There's a lot of riff, guitar in that song. Riff yeah. that that goes along with different sections of chords. I don't know. I don't know how to, mm-hmm. how to explain it. That's the one I listened to like seven or eight times before I came over here. It's a thread that yeah, I've seen you play that in your, in your guitar playing. What you play a certain riff that can be within the C minor, within the C, within the G. Really? And it's the same riff that goes through. Yeah, cool. I didn't know I did that. I saw it once. You saw it once. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I also wanted to ask you, and this I'm not sure how big of a part of this you were, but I saw it in your wiki. By the way, you know the wiki? You know your wiki? Have you looked at your wiki? It's, it says... It, it, it changes, says, and I'm like, who is changing this? Yeah. Well, it says, Will Daly, and in, and in parentheses, born 1976 or 77. We don't know yet. They're not sure. Yeah. So, well, Chris Trapper's was wrong too. It made him. It made him younger. Well, that's he's why, like I wasn't well, born seventy one. I was born sixty seven. Man. Well, first, first was getting it wrong. Then it's just like kind of throwing on a couple of dates. Yeah. He was like, well, within these these five years, he was he was born. Listen, and no one, that, no one really. That knows. was funny. Yeah. But also, it said you were part of the um, uh, the Ghost Brothers of Darkland. Yeah. How involved were you with that? With Stephen King and John Mellencamp? That looked, I'd, I'd never heard of it, and I wish I'd seen it. That first of all, the story sounds yeah crazy. Eerie. I was I was, um, I was pretty involved. Yeah, I and mean, I got to spend a week, two weeks in the studio with Cheryl Crow, Roseanne Cash, Taj Mahal, Elvis Costello, T Bone Burnett, Mark Rubeau, who's probably one of my top five favorite guitarists of all time. And I got to ask him about one of my favorite Tom Waits tunes, and and I, it was just an education. I was like, this is a coup. This is a coup. And like, I just hope no one asked me to get them coffee. Like, <laughs> you know, because every studio has a runner. You know, like like that. And I was like, there, someone's gonna ask me to get get them coffee and i'm gonna and have to get it i was with jacob <laughs> dylan and and i was a huge jacob dylan fan and something about him i loved and i i kept blowing it like i finally made up with him like <laughs> last year like not, not that anything bad happened yeah, just yeah. like i didn't like get to be like 
yeah. I think you're cool, or yeah. in the right way, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's actually he heard sunken brain. ship, and then came to me about it. So then I ah. got to then be like, okay, so I think you're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have, and I'm like, I blew it. At, I, I remember I was playing Farm Aid once, and I blew it, <laughs> and I blew it at the, on the Ghostland sessions. But the Ghostland, not Ghostland. What were we talking about? What's the Ghostland? musical? Yes, yeah, me at oh, Ghostland. That was a musical run for a while that Stephen King and John Mellencamp wrote. And so at the time, I, w- I just started getting managed by Mellencamp's manager. And yeah. Mellencamp, who is like the most unapproachable guy and like really crotchy and, and tough, he's done more for me, I think, than anybody. Really? And, I, and I go up to say thanks. Like, yeah. yeah. Is, um, he, at that point, you know, when I was just trying to get like a leg up somewhere, he, he threw me a couple of bones, Farm Aid and uh, Ghostland. And then when Ghostland went to Broadway, he's like, I really want Will Daly to audition. I was like, oh, okay, I can't tell John Mellencamp I really don't want to be on Broadway, but okay, I'll go. So you auditioned? I'll try anything once. Oh, you know, and, John Mellencamp tells you to audition. You right, and I'm a songwriter, so it's like, all I know is I'm alive this one time, and if I'm stuck in a genre, if I'm stuck in my own ego of life, and like I'm just a musician, I don't need to do anything but play my guitar, right. and not go out and audition for something on Broadway, what that yeah. experience might lead to as far as experiencing life. No, you've shown I, that you've done many other things like that. Yeah. You so, learn, and some are very successful, some teach right. you other things. Exactly, so I yeah. try them all once. Well, it's funny that you that you bring this up because you want me to audition for Broadway. No, for the I had musical of Pond. Chuck had an audition. I had an audition on Friday. You know Joyce Cole Haywick underwear yes. commercial. So we talked to Joyce Cole Haywick. It was one of our episodes, and I used to be an actor. Ron, I don't know if you knew that, but um, so she <laughs> Wait, found out. Are you acting when you say you like Castle Pretending? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, I'm a, I'm a bad actor. Okay. So you would have seen right through it. Anyway, she sent me this. It was a casting call. They're looking for Boston podcasters who talk to musicians. And she's like, I think this is kind of right up your alley. And so I auditioned for it. It's so funny, though, because it's not like an actor needs to do that. It's like, that's what you are. I'm like, this is what I do for a living. So <laughs> It's like reality TV. We're looking for someone to play Will Daly in a biopic about Will Daly. Will you do it? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And it would be like if they like said Will to you, Daly. you know, you're just not the Will Daly we're looking <laughs> yeah. for. You know? So that's, uh, you know, I'm I like a little. That. That's a good little movie. I'm a little concerned <laughs> that they're going to be like, yeah, we're not buying. This is your life. This is what you do for a living. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I did. I just auditioned for that on Friday. That's cool. And I realized now I left acting and I don't do it anymore. But did you enjoy the experience? Oh yeah, I mean it was. It was did you um, act? Did you audition for John Mankamp and Stephen King? Or was no, it like I got the gig. I got the gig, and um, no, I auditioned on Broadway for like the, one of the biggest casting directors. It went great, actually. It went. It went very well. I got called again for three more after that. I got called for Dirty Dancing. I said no. I've been called for things because I've appeared on TV and stuff like that. So yeah. I think once mm-hmm. you've appeared on TV, you get put in like your height what yeah, your abilities right. are and all this stuff. Get so, your IMBD thing. Yeah, and, and I'm, I've been called for The Voice four times. I keep saying. Really? Like, yeah, no. What are you going to do on The Voice? Exactly. What am I gonna, well, as, you mean to a, perform. As a judge or yeah, performer? Yeah, to perform. To form. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, no, no, to, no, to be to one be of the judge. contestants. Oh, no, one of the contestants. On the Voice? No, I'm not going to be. I'm not. Well, I'm glad I you're mean, not going to I would have given you guys a rider if I could be a judge on The Voice. I'm glad, But I'm glad you're not being a contestant either. No, I wouldn't. I try to advise most friends who get the you want to go do it not to unless it's just like i don't really want to sing for the rest of my life i want to have an experience like this yeah i get it but if you're a songwriter and they're using you for your narrative like my career story is perfect for their narrative it was like oh he's done this and he's done that he just needs the voice now Mm. for the final yeah right right the final thing he needs is the voice and then when you're not then the next you go try to do music the rest of your life you're always introduced that byline she was on the voice she was on the voice so when you do the introduduction to you for this one, we'll tell you, we'll say, 
Will Daly was not on The Voice. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you auditioned. You that you're putting your money where your mouth is. You should experience it, yeah. see what it's like, and you just never know what's going to lead you. Wait a second. You toured. Weren't you with the production Ghosts? No, I was in the studio recording of it. So oh, like the music when, behind it. I remember I was home after I did it, and doorbell rings, and it's just like giant bouquet of flowers. And I read the card, and it says, "Thank you greatly, Stephen King." I went upstairs, showed my girlfriend, now my wife. And I was like, we have flowers from Stephen King. We're like, just thought it was great. Framed the card, <laughs> put the flowers up, went to bed. We're both lying in bed. We're like, we're going to die. flowers from Stephen King in the house. So they're going to come to life. I know, exactly. You're gonna, we're going to you eat know, your face off. a delirious moment right before you fall asleep and anything is possible in the world. <laughs> Ask me more What's questions. What's next for you besides the 28th? <laughs> yes, we have more questions. I celebrate Golden Walker for at least another year and a half. I leave about three or four songs off every record I make, and I'm adding one or two on in August with some live demos of the oh. tunes. So I release it again then, and um, doing remixes for early winter, and then a giant version of the record early in 2019. Really, yeah. that's kind of interesting. Because I think if I'm talking to like other peers of mine who, who are doing the same uh, struggle, I say. Make sure you make something that you can love for a long time, even when it's painful. Like you usually think you screwed the whole thing up when you're done. Just try to trick myself into loving it, and and usually that comes from people listening to it and then giving me their feelings back, you know. And what people say about it fuels you. And hopefully, no one just says it's good. People say really specific things about it. The goal is having someone say, "I don't like this," or "I love it." Means this to me. Having a specific thing to say about it, like you just did. We're in the tyranny of content, so you can't for one second assume that just because you put something out that's in this ubiquitous platform. That everyone's going to hear it. You have to love the thing you made enough to find ways to celebrate it authentically over over a period of time because it's the tyranny of content. The tyranny it's, of th- content. There's stuff yeah. all the time. You have a saved list on Netflix that you haven't gotten through. You can't even possibly get through the saved things in this lifetime that you now want to check out. So for me to try to make the connection with you, I'm going to have to be celebrating for a long time and not just assume like it didn't work because it didn't blow up day one. I mean, people need to understand music that is blowing up has money being spent on it a lot. You know, I know pretty much until at least March of next year, it's just Golden Walker. Isn't live the celebration? Yeah, that's the way too. But if I, you know, I have a Tom Waits cover and a song that I left off the record and three three or four of the demos that are going to go on in August or September 7th, I think. That's just the way for me to hit those platforms, kind of waken the algorithm again as I'm going out to play live all fall. Do you enjoy playing these new songs live? I do. Some we have to figure out, like not figure out, just like get the muscle memory on. But then you, your muscle memory on them just evolves. And sometimes like I have the saxophone player playing with me the past couple of shows and mm. as much as I can. And because um, what I tend to do is make a record, I paint all over a canvas and then I go out and be like, well, it is what it is live and it's going to be what it is. And if it's me and a drummer or me and a trio, that's going to be the experience. The last two records, I went to Applehead Studios in upstate New York, spring the songs on the guys while we're there, kind of trap them. We sleep in the studio for seven days, and we make the frame and stretch the canvas. And then there's you know a sketch of it on there, and then I come home and go to Q Division and home and, and do all the slathering. You talked about infinite tunnels. I did? You did. But you talked about song uh, songwriting as these different tunnels that you can take. Mm. A tunnel can go into different directions. You're digging, and you don't mm-hmm. know where it's going. That song is it comes from those those different tunnels. Yeah, I think maybe what I was talking about too is like we connect to something for its familiarity, and we love it for its surprises. 
a joke is funny because there's a pattern there that seems familiar, and then when you upset the pattern, it, it's funny. Songs that we leap, we don't change the dial on have something that's familiar to us, but then are surprising us at all times. I hate to break it, but we're all connected. Everything's connected. Everything's the same. You know, we're all. I think we'll say we're all stardust. But it's true. We're all just like we're all the same thing you know and understanding each other and every word has been spoken and written and every song has been sung but not not, that way not that way and that's language right everything we're saying right now never was and never will be said and maybe there's a good reason for that okay thanks for tuning in (laughs) especially if i can't find that those files then it's never been said infinite tunnels is going to be the name of the new band (laughs) infinite tunnels i think they have a bigger font at uh festival of the farm they're right up near twiddle Infinite Tunnels. <laughs> you got a nice size font. I did. You're in the middle. <laughs> is that a euphemism? What the hell is that? I made it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You just, I'm psyched I, for that. I, I got it. Festival of the Farm. Farm? Festival of the Farm. in Boston, yeah. Fam. Festival of the Farm. It's going to be wicked awesome. It's a wicked pisser. At Festival of the Farm. Jet streams, high in conversation, strangers in the sky. Who met on a delay, suddenly a red eye racing through the night. I told you about my love, who's ready like a harbor. As soon as I arrive, yes, it all gets real when the gear goes down, and it already would have not worked out by now. Over Minnesota, you asked about my shoulder, a smile to oblige. Sudden drop in pressure I would have put your mask on Before I put on mine So why was I wishing Wishing that the tailwind Was not on her side And I know Had we never touched the ground That it already would If not would out by now Still any time I feel mistreated I wonder what it'd be like if we stayed up in the sky High, high, so Thoughts fly, stand by, waiting in an alternate life. Where we take that walk and we buy the house and we get 
third time in the baby crowns and the taxes break and I drink too much and the bills pile up and the years roll out and it already would have not worked out by now Yes it already would have not worked out by now Well it already would have not worked out by now Find out where Will is playing next and purchase as much vinyl as you can at willdaily.com. He will also be playing at Festival at the Farm in September and you can learn more about that at festivalatthefarm.com. Go to AboveTheBasement.com. You can join us on Patreon. Sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Ronnie and myself, thanks for listening. Tell your friends. And remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. How would you like to join us in creating great conversations that inspire and connect? Patreon is a membership platform that provides a way for creators like us to build relationships and provide exclusive experiences to subscribers or patrons. We have been self-financed since we got off the ground in June of 2016, but in order to continue to fully invest all we can in each episode, we need your patronage. For more information, please go to patreon.com forward slash above the basement.